0: Events of the past 12 months have once again highlighted that Australia still has a long way to go when it comes to our relationship with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. 20 years on from the Reconciliation March of 2000, the path to reconciliation is still one that as a nation, we have a long way to travel. In that spirit of reconciliation, I would like to offer my respects to the traditional owners of the land on which we meet, both past, present, and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. Hi everyone, and welcome to this edition of the UX Australia podcast. I'm joined today by Taylor Black. Taylor, welcome.
1: Hello, thank you so much.
0: Now, uh, where in the world are you joining us from today?
1: I am in the Melbourne area of Australia, so I'm down in Torquay. I was lucky enough to move down here during the pandemic and get some beachside uh, <laughs> yeah, time, which is really nice.
0: Torquay is a very nice part of the world. I've been through there on a few occasions. Um, on one occasion, I was in a cycling event um, and got to experience Torquay with gale-force winds, um, which is not not the best way to do it at all and certainly not the best way to do it on a bicycle. But how are things there today?
1: Yeah, they're gorgeous. Um, I mean, summers down here are incredible and it's also really nice whenever all the tourists go back to work because then we get our beaches back. <laughs> so it's great.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's always that sort of mixed blessing uh, living in an area that is popular, um, you know, like it's it's nice for you when nobody else is there, but on occasion it's just crowded.
1: Yeah, luckily we know a few secret spots. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. yeah,
0: I love it. Now um, you're going to be talking at uh, design research in in a few short weeks about change and innovation, but I'm curious how. Like, what is the innovation space like in Australia at the moment?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think in Melbourne specifically, you know, lately, the industry is really just coming out of its own COVID hibernation. So, I'm sure that you would have seen in the Sydney area that a lot more events are being run again and, you know, um, different pitch nights are coming back onto the scene and innovation centres are kind of gearing up and those sorts of collaboration hubs um, are vibing again, which is really great. I think people are really, really eager to jump back into it. Um, Just like anywhere else, you know, there's been a ton of innovation and new things happening during COVID. But I think what's going to be interesting now that I'm seeing with a lot of customers and clients that I work with is now that things are kind of coming back online, there's a suite of products and services that they're keen to release and kind of bring to market. And so I feel like over the next kind of six to 12 months, um, even 18 months, there's just going to be an influx of new products and services coming to market. Um, so businesses really trying to, um, you know, come out of that COVID hibernation door running, so to say.
0: it's it's one of those. It's going to be an interesting uh, challenge, I think, and, and an interesting environment for organisations to come back into, um, in 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 that sort of sense. And I, and I say that because I think a lot of people are going to be very very tired. Um, You know, after two plus years of lockdowns and the stress associated with the pandemic, the uncertainty around travel, the uncertainty around being able to attend events, see family, like all of those sorts of things. I think there's a lot of pent up um, stress and anxiety and fatigue um, and yet new products, innovation and change. Are inherently like sort of they 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 require an investment in mental and emotional energy, um, and I'm I'm really interested uh, to see how people respond.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, what's interesting to look at is the cross section of those two from a systems standpoint, whenever you kind of take a step back and think, what does that mean? You know, people are really exhausted. We have this great resignation going on. I mean, I myself at the end of last year left my comfortable full-time job and have gone out (laughs) for full-time contracting and freelancing with my own studio, which has been amazing. Um, We have all of that paired with the new ideas. So... Mm -hmm. I mean, my own personal hypothesis as well is that in the next, again, six to kind of 18 months, we're going to see more startups and more people going out with their own ideas, more people saying, you know what, it's too hard to do what I want to do in this traditional organization, or I'm burnt out, or I need a break, or I want to work part time, you know, the four day work week, like all of these things that are changing. Um, and exactly to your point, I think it'll be really interesting to see how those two spaces connect.
0: Yeah. I think uh, one of the other things that we see during periods of turmoil broadly is a lot of people realise that the large institution that they work for affords them no greater security in the face of chaos than being on their own. Um It looks like it should um, and it's certainly uh, spoken about as though it will and yet, you know, we see sort of time and time again that when it really comes to it, large organisations won't take care of their staff any more than a small organisation might and and certainly no more than you might be able to achieve on your own.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think that this time has really challenged people to think about their values, like from that organisational kind of employee experience perspective mm. do you value the kind of perks and more financial benefits perhaps of a larger organization or do you value the really close-knit community benefits of a small company or do you mm. value that autonomy and flexibility and exploration with going out on your own right you know of mm. those three kind of value sets what's most important now
0: yeah and that ability to. Um, you know, maybe trade time for income. Um, and and potentially also, I think one of the one of the most fascinating things that we've seen over the last couple of years is um, and and it's it's been happening a, a little bit, you know, for twenty or thirty years kind of thing, but we really saw this disconnect occur in the last two years and a forced disconnect occur between work and the workplace. Um, you know, everyone, as many people who could, if you can, go home, stay home, work from there. Um, and this notion that, no, you have to be in the corporate office, you have to be in the place of business to do work, um, just got thrown out the window. And I think that gives people a sense that, well, oh, if I don't have to work in the workplace, then I don't have to live in proximity to work. And I can. I can actually live anywhere i want um and we're, we're seeing it you know reflected in things like um you know regional house prices where they've been growing at a rate that we we don't normally see um and it's been driven by people going you know what i'm going to live three hours that way um because i like that part of the world um and i don't have to live 20 minutes from work anymore if if I'm going to dial in, I'll dial in from a place that's, you know, got a nice view out the window and, you know, maybe some cows in a paddock type of thing.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, And thinking about what are the parallels or applications between those lifestyle changes and kind of, you know, breaking the status quo to say in that lifestyle or way of working or where you live or how you work through to even the processes or tools or methods that we use in the workplace, you know, mm. particularly in design, I think, luckily, as designers, we have a lot of flexibility to explore already. Yeah. Um, you know, but that being said, there are still frameworks and methodologies that we use that are based in those more, um, you know, historical establishment. You know, it's been around for a long time. That's why mm. we do it. And some of them um, can kind of go out on a limb more than others. So again, it'll be also interesting to see how people take that lifestyle change and apply that to in their work change.
0: Yes, yeah. If I can, if I can basically, you know, innovate my lifestyle or disrupt the way that I've, you know, traditionally lived and worked, then why not do that in the workplace? Um, that'll be that'll be interesting to to see how that pans out as well. Are you seeing? Um, Are you seeing organisations gearing up to come out of the pandemic and, you know, with with a clear eye of what does post-pandemic life look like for us?
1: Definitely. I mean, I think that, you know, one of the biggest conversations happening right now is what's temporary and what's permanent so of the changes that we've experienced over the last two years what are we going to keep basically and and what are we going to revert back to and i think that the hope for most is that it's not actually a question of reverting back more just evolving because who wants to to go back to the way things were really Um, but yeah i know that that's something that a lot of organizations are thinking about so with these different hybrid working situations, or um, you know, do we even need a physical office space? Can we just hire temporary office spaces whenever colleagues want to collaborate for specific situations? Mm. Um, and thinking about their future strategy and and where they want to invest.
0: I, I I'm I'm interested in that question of. You know what would we revert back to and and why would we do it um and and not just in the workplace but in society or more, more broadly um and i've seen it applied to thinking around you know well if if the government needs to invest to prop up the economy then um where do we spend that money um questions around well, what's the economy for what do we want it to be doing for us um you know and and if we sort of look back at what we had, then we might as well question who was that working well for? Um, and who was it potentially not working quite so well for and or, or not working well at all. Um, and if we're going to move and, and look to the future, and now seems like a good time to do that, well, what sort of future do we want for ourselves, and and what sort of society do we want for ourselves, and and are things like, you know, as as grand a concept as our economy, um, is our economy actually fit for purpose?
1: Mm, yeah, I think that that's a really great point, and I think it really links in well to concepts which have become more and more. Um, looked at and paid attention Mm -hmm. to particularly again in design which is around co-design thinking about what sort of privilege do we have as facilitators or as others as participants how can we be more inclusive um a lot of the justice oriented conversations happening in the U.S. and in the rest of the world as well Mm -hmm. and also in Australia Um, and being conscious of um Genuinely, including other perspectives and, and genuinely redesigning or reshifting our systems from that more social point of view yes. um, in, in a place that provides more equity to a diverse range of people uh, mm. in different situations and Yeah, I think that um, those conversations have been so much more prevalent, um, for better or for worse, in the last year and a half or so. And so now that we kind of do come out of this COVID hibernation, I think the fact that they are now on the table as well as the more traditional questions or conversations organizations might be having is really promising.
0: Yeah, I'm optimistic that the conversations that we're having. will also lead to significant action and significant change. Um, the The cynic in me um, can see in some places that it's it's a conversation that's happening in order to provide a veneer of change rather than being part of a substantive um, change program. But I'm, I'm, I am I'm genuinely optimistic about these things, but I am optimistic that what we've seen over the last couple of years, will set us up for some more genuine reflection and, and from that genuine change, it, even in things like how we go about design, um, who we conceive of as the designer, where design takes place, you know, all of those sorts of questions, um, I'm hopeful.
1: Yeah, and um, it's so interesting because if we look through that lens that you just described, in some ways I can see how that would actually motivate some people to go out on their own or to be a nonconformist or to put forth their ideas because maybe they're tired of inaction or maybe they they're Mm -hmm. impatient because they don't believe that change will happen otherwise which I think is something that I've definitely experienced in the past as well and so Mm -hmm. you know I think that um, it's it's going to be interesting to see organizations and governments um in just different societies and and entities more broadly be held accountable or just to be watched, I guess, by Mm. um employees or citizens. And where there isn't action, then you see more and more people going out on their own.
0: Mm. I think we 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 certainly see it um around some social issues, definitely, and, and over the last couple of years and you know it's I think exactly 12 months since we had the March for Justice, the Women's March for Justice um, in 2021, um, which was, you know, born of a frustration that things continued to be bad um, and just weren't being looked at. We've seen similar things around climate change, um, you know, that frustration of continuing in, in Um, And it will be interesting to see whether or not that level of, scrutiny as you described um leads to a similar scale of action where there was some of it um in the us in in some of these sort of large corporations where you had in in 2021 and 2020 in particular we had groups of um employees basically publicly call out their companies for, you know, what they were doing, you know, Facebook's employees or um, an investment bank's employees or a consulting company's employees sort of standing there going, actually, what you're talking about um, and and what you're saying that you're doing is not matched by your actions. Um, And and we don't think that's okay. and, And we want and expect you to do more.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I, I think a concept that's really interesting in this space, which I explore in my talk, is around principled insubordination. And this is a term that's coined by Todd Kashtian. So he has a book coming out this okay. year called Art of Insubordination, which is nice. sounds like it's going to be really interesting. Nice, yeah. Um, but the way that he describes that is principled insubordination, it's not just being reckless or impulsive or being different because you can out of a place of privilege or immaturity. Rather, um, he describes it as a rebellion contributing to society, so rebels Hmm. with integrity and ethical standards. So sort of the productive nonconformist, the positively impacting um, status quo breaker, if you will. yeah.
0: And I'm sure um, the the contrast is made between sort of that model of civil disobedience or insubordination versus you know what we often see um, you know from those in power and those in privilege uh, a um, uh, a kind of a, an, an admonition um, to the to the protesters that they be more polite or that they um, you know. Um, behave in certain ways or that they not be disruptive and, and this kind of thing. So um, I, I like that that contrast between, you know, sort of productive rebellion um, versus that, you know, um, those, those calls for politeness, which, yeah, basically can piss off.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, he actually has a really interesting quote as well, which I quite liked, Successful rebellions don't come from a place of ignorance, duress, compulsion, or randomness. There's nothing impressive about being different merely because we're not paying attention.
0: Yeah, nice.
1: Yeah. So I think that, you know, whenever we have young change makers in particular coming onto the scene and maybe they've been working for a few years and they're not liking what they're seeing or they're feeling impatient. Um, Or maybe they're even, you know, in university and and watching the news or wherever they're coming from. You know, I think that taking a really positive impact lens, taking that more um, action with integrity is going to be really powerful.
0: I think there's also um, um, an implication there or an onus there, if you like, that people... um, be educated about what's been done before, what else is happening at the moment, um, to get behind, um, you know, potentially existing, um, existing movements, existing initiatives to, you know, help drive that change that might be faltering rather than start all over again. Because um, that kind of fragmentation can actually get in the way and be counterproductive.
1: Hmm. yeah definitely and um you know it's so funny that it actually links really back links back really well to design i mean um, research, doesn't it? Yes. just being informed and you know I know the the topic of u x Australia conference coming up is around design research, but just research more generally and being informed about what you're doing hmm. and what you're passionate about and where you wanna make change and what levers can you pull, what's already been pulled, and how can you be different,
0: yeah, I like it. I look forward to hearing a lot more about it in a couple of weeks. Taylor, it's been uh, lovely chatting with you today.
1: Thank you. And um, if we have time, I, I do have a question for you. Please. Which is a little bit of a challenging one. Um, what does breaking the status quo look like in your world?
0: In my world? So um, my world's a little bit um, eclectic, if you like, because I have both um, – a, a design studio that I'm, I'm a part of I have a conference business that I'm a part of um, and I also have a political party that I'm a part of so breaking the status quo quite literally um, at the moment as we gear up for a federal election is changing government um, you know that's that's sort of my big focus at the moment is gearing up for the next federal election which will probably be Mid-May, um, I've got about eight or nine, maybe 10 weeks to get ready for it um, with the you know very real intention of changing the way that our, um, our governments behave, our, um, our policy is written, um, and what that does for everyday Australians.
1: Well, that's awesome. More power to you.
0: Thanks, Taylor. And thanks for joining me today.
1: Of course, anytime.
0: All right, thank you very much. And we'll see you at Design Research. Looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, see you there.